This episode of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast is produced by Cake Pie Games. Cake Pie Games, games that are a piece of cake to set up and easy as pie to teach. Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Ye adventurers and voyagers of the seven tabletop seas, welcome to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is marvelous, fantastic, and joyous for you to be here with us on this wonderful, wonderful Thursday, because we always release on Thursday. If you're listening to this not on a Thursday, well time is irrelevant as always my name is josh and with me is my number one number two but never my number three co-host oh yeah i'm andrew and time is very relevant but if you're listening to some podcast then the whole point of a podcast is you don't have to pay attention to a specific time so i'm a big fan of that there is no time anyway i will stop waxing poetic and let's welcome our guest this week very very excited to have sean fletcher game designer at the op the man responsible for disney sorcerer arena which is a pretty badass game. Thank you very much for doing that. Thank you for uh, your, your your high praise of the game there. Not, not only that, he is the designer of my favorite game of 2022. I'm going to say it that way. Disney Sorcerer's Arena was my favorite game of 2022. I absolutely love, love that game. I have all oh, the expansions for it. Oh, you know, it's it's great. You guys, you guys I'm not, I haven't even played the app, to be completely honest. I'm just a fan of the board game. And everything about it. My wife is not as much of a fan because I always trounce her on it. But when I can play this game, I even if I don't play it, I'm buying the expansions so I can play with the people who like to play it. So we're really Who's excited to have character? you on the show. Oof. Uh, the expansions I have right now, I'd say I always pretty much have Gaston in my okay in my party. He's but favorite one to play with. I'm going to say my favorite like design. As from a designer, so there's one I'm really like, oh, that's really cool. I really liked what you guys did with uh, Jack Skellington. I okay. think he, his his whole thing with the fear and stuff like that I thought was really, really clever. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to say probably my favorite is Gaston. I really like just the brute tankiness of him and the kind of the push your luck of flipping the card and hoping you get some strong in there. Yeah. So. Yeah, I know some. I know some very competitive players uh, from our our Road to Gen Con series. And a lot of them swear by Gaston. They they just love the fact that you know once he upgrades, he's just a behemoth dynamo. Mm-hmm. He is, and I and I would actually I actually participated in the Road to Gen Con at the uh, Cape Fear Games Wilmington site. Oh, we cool. did a tournament there, and I was one of the big proponents of it. And you know, I I lost all my matches to be completely honest. Because there's people who play a lot more than me there, but I always it was always close, which was really nice. And Gaston was always in my team no matter what. It's such a great character. But, you know, talking more about DSA and the Road to Gen Con, how was that experience pretty much making a a game within the last couple of years that ended up in one big grand tournament? Was it at Origins or Gen Con? I, I think it was Gen, Gen Con, Con, right? Gen yeah. Con was our, our big finale just a few weeks ago. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a first for me in that it was the first game I've ever designed that really uh, fit organized play and competitive play that way. It was the first game that the op has ever put together that that sort of had that uh, structure. 
it was the first time I ever built an organized play system from the ground up because we'd never had a need for that before at the op. Um, and it was the first time I got to travel all over the country to, to meet people playing the game that I had designed. That's amazing on a hundred different levels. But also, I think that the situation, the way you set it up also is great. Like this head-to-head kind of moving on and taking on more people, just it creates this kind of like a tournament bracket style kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious, was there a dominant strategy or were there enough people playing different things that, you know, that saw some interesting combos you never anticipated before? There's definitely uh, a variety of, of approaches you can take to the game. Um, I know Gaston did show up in a lot of finalist decks. Um, Fossier, probably. F- Facilier got, got plenty of play. Elsa was getting some good attention by the end. Sully kind of came and went. Sully mm. Ariel was a very strong strategy when it was just the core set. Um, but then I think as the game evolved, people realized that putting two characters that used the same, uh, sort of gear resource system sort of slowed down your, your means of upgrading other characters. Uh, so Sully kind of faded away. Ariel stayed strong. Uh, Sully came back a little bit at the end, but I think, uh, Josh, you mentioned Jack Skellington because of the, the way you can draft your characters onto your team at the beginning of every game. If you pregame it, you'll find that, that Jack Skellington um, has a pretty good advantage against Sully. So if you want to knock Sully out of your opponent's uh, roster, you go in with Jack, either, either counterpicking him after Sully or pre-picking him so that it doesn't make sense for them to take Sully. There's some rock, paper, scissors in the design of the characters. Nice. Uh, and I think that that makes for a very interesting meta game. I will say really quick, sorry, Andrew, that the one one character, now that I'm thinking about it more, that I think, you know, was in the kind of, I'm glad to see has a meta to him. And it's probably my favorite. Di- I, I love playing with him. It's still like, I guess also my favorite to have and play with, but really, really close behind that is the Horde King. I mean, I mm. think you guys really, really nailed that design of he's you know, he's it, my favorite design of of all of the characters. He really is. Mickey's close behind that, but Horn King, I think, um, whether he's you know the most competitive character or not, he's just fun to play. He's so flavorful, um, and he he does some really clever things that that no other character in the game right now does. Yeah, I really do feel smart. When, when that whole like – because he's a slow burn character. Once you get your mm-hmm. cauldron born out and you're starting to you know, really control the board, which is the, the whole thing you want to – I use him at least and it works pretty well. Where you're trying to have him to control the board to let your heavy hitters kind of go and take care of the rest of the stuff. It just – you just feel so smart when it actually starts clicking. But yeah. you know, I, could get, I could geek out about DSA all the time. Andrew, go ahead and ask your question you're going to ask. <laughs> I was going to say based on the way you saw organized play play out – Obviously, you have more expansions, and I know one of them is coming up soon here, but is some of that play going to affect the way you design characters going forward? Have you learned tips and tricks that you're going to use to either counter strengths or to increase different directions the way they can grow? Uh, I think the answer to that is is both yes and no. Um, We playtest this game months ahead of mm-hmm. any kind of uh, competitive meta happening outside in the real world. 
And for the most part, our playtesters really do have a pretty good idea of what the meta is going to look like in the future once they've had a chance to, to play with new characters. So does the open world competitive play meta impact the way I design characters? Not really, because it's already been there in the playtesting environment. Okay. And frankly, if we get to a point where the game in the real world, uh, the outside world, um, is showing one dominant meta, it, it's going to take you know a full development cycle of a new set, and that can be 9 to 12 months yeah. to go from design to testing to production is the longest part of it, making sure... Uh, all of the art is done, getting all of our approvals from Disney, uh, building the files out, and then shipping them to be manufactured, and then waiting for it to arrive uh, in the U.S. once it's been manufactured. So it's really uh, important that our, our playtesting community spots these these meta shifts uh, as the game evolves. Are you still taking applications for people who want to be part of that playtesting? Yeah, yeah, uh, you go I'm to, server, uh, yeah. well, you can, yeah, and you can go to, um, the, our, our Discord server. Uh, I know there's a rebrandly for it. I wish I had the link, uh, for you off the top of my head. But if you go to our website, uh, the op.games and scroll all the way down to the bottom, there is a link for playtesting there. Um, and we take playtesters for all kinds of games, not just DSA. So what is like, so you design in-house for the op. Mm-hmm. Um, very different than lots of other designers who kind of do it freelance and things like that. So what do you th- what do you think is something that not only designers, but people who play games like DSA or just play games in general should know? What's kind of the difference between a freelance designer and a design- person who designs in-house? Like what's your objective and mission and stuff? Uh, the difference between freelance game designer and in-house game designer is health insurance. Um, yeah, uh, I, I was just talking to somebody yesterday and and we, I've had this conversation with people for, for years now. Um, I recognize exactly how lucky I am to have a full-time job as a game designer because, uh, last time we did the math, it's like there, there are very likely more NFL quarterbacks than there are in-house game designers in the U S. Um, and and the the balance of what I do sort of ebbs and flows between creating new things on my own and developing greenhouse games, and then also uh, reviewing, analyzing, and helping to develop uh, games that come in from from those freelance game inventors. Um, I mean, Andrew, you know what it's like to to knock on all the doors and get the games out there for review. I've I've met with you a couple of times at, at yep. conventions now and. You always have something new you're 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 trying to get eyes on. Always, um, and I've done that. I've done that myself. Uh, I worked for a studio up in Seattle for eight and a half years, uh, where my job was to invent games for the studio. We were not a publisher on our own. We sought out other publishers. So my job was to invent games, and then go to trade shows with my boss. Uh, twice I've gone to Nuremberg, Germany to the, uh, the, the, the Nuremberg toy fair. Um, and that would be, you know, a week of hauling these big old suitcases from one pavilion to another over the course of a 10 to 12 hour day, pitching games nonstop for, you know, 10 to 12 sessions a day, five days of the week. Wow. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, the difference the difference um, in in a lot of ways is just the the security of knowing that you have a paycheck next week, you have a desk to sit down and have have a lot of partners in the office uh, working on the same projects as you, and not not a joke. Health insurance is a big one. Uh, but I, I have a ton of respect for anyone that's doing the freelance hustle because I've, I've been there. I know what it's like. Um, and it's intense. It is. But also I, the thing I'm jealous about is the collaborative aspect of that where you have very yeah. talented people at your beck and call to do some awesome calibration and some really impressive counter feedback. And they understand what you're trying to do, which is also very cool. Uh, mm-hmm. It's taken me a while to build up my own personal network of people that I can bounce ideas off and do play tests with for very specific things. So I completely and utterly respect with even without the paycheck, I would Jones to just be part of a collaborative group like that. Well, you know, and I, I don't want to you know, derail the, the, the format too much, but I can say Discord has like changed the landscape for me in, in terms of building that collaborative environment. Um, our playtest community, Josh, you're part of it. We, we built this community online, uh, because the pandemic hit right when we were starting to, to want to play test Sorcerer's Arena. Um, and we moved all of our testing to an online system where I can give people a link to a digital copy of the game, give them a forum where they can, uh, find their own schedules and, and, and opponents for that game and a Google form where they can just plug in their, their results afterwards and it dumps it into a, a database for me. So there's a lot of automation in the system. And as long as you build up a community of people that you really like having around, as long yeah. as that community gels and, and gets along well, um, you can build that collaborative uh, environment without having the, the the office full of people to go to. I've got more play testers that I work with than I do co-workers at the office. I mean, yeah, the op is – you guys are honestly killing it in my opinion. Like you just released the perfect wave, which I'm dying to get my hands on. It's just a group of talented people. Like I know Pat Marino pretty well. Mm-hmm. I've met with him a couple times, pitched some of my games to him. Smart cookie. I've I've seen the – like I said, I'm on the Discord. I haven't play tested in a long minute. It's Disney's Sorcerer's Arena, but like – it just seems like you guys are doing everything right, shifting from, you know, hey, the op, they released Monopoly mm-hmm. Golden Girls and stuff like that to, you know, kind of being what I'm glad to see, a presence in the hobby. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know people who look forward to going to the op booth now at things like yeah. Gen Con. And we had a like great that. one this year. Yeah, you Absolutely. did. <laughs> I think everyone did. <laughs> Holy cow. It was, I, I, your, your booth was fantastic, by the way, the way you were advertising the perfect. I really like how – you were at, like you were theming your booth around your big release, mm-hmm, and lots mm-hmm. of some publishers do that, and I really appreciate that. But some publishers, you know, they just hey, we're this, we're releasing this. So, oh, we're we're uh, spoiler alert, we're we're already planning what next year's booth is going to be, and if we can make it happen, uh, we're pretty excited about it. Are you guys going to be at PAX this year? Uh, PAX U. Yeah, PAX I think U. we've. I think we might have some envoys doing like table demos and stuff, but uh, none of us from the op proper are, are heading out there. Darn. I have, maybe next. Maybe well, maybe in the future then, hopefully, because I yeah. love Paxio. So anyways, I think we spent enough time bantering about. Let's sure. go ahead and head to our pre-launch and talk about what games we've been playing recently. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guest. Sean, how about you talk... 
Sorry, yeah, it says Sean right there, not Fletch. Yeah, it's oh, all good. People got. <clears throat> Most people know me as Fletch, um, but but sometimes people are surprised to hear I have a real name. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair enough. Fletch, how about you go ahead and start off with what game you've been playing recently? Because it's the kind of the the granddaddy of games right now. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of Ark Nova. Uh, I was a little late to the the, the party on Ark Nova. But uh, I've been playing a ton of it on, on Board Game Arena online. Uh, we've broken it out here at the house uh, a couple of times now. My eight-year-old was actually a big uh, impetus in, in pulling it down off the shelf and finally getting it to the table uh, because he, he looked up there and he says, Dad, what's that one? Arc Nova. Okay. Well, I want to play that. Do you know what it's about? No, but I want to play it. Uh, and he's getting into to some – Yeah. He's getting into some heavier games uh, lately. I mean, he's again, he's eight, so uh, I think the big barrier is is um, attention span. Yes, but you know the crazy thing about Ark Nova is as as many things as there are going on in that game, no single piece of that game is so complex that my son can't process it. Um, it's just the it takes a long time to get through a full game. Yeah. Uh, but if we can, if we can keep his attention, you know, focused enough, he'll get through the whole game. I really, really love the, the kind of growth that happens in that game. Mm-hmm. You start with almost nothing. You, you grab some, uh, some, some sponsorships and, and some association moves uh, to try to streamline and figure out what your strategy is going to be. And you just build uh, your own zoo and your own synergies and your own engines into what you're trying to do. And I, I love that process, regardless of, you know, whether I'm winning or losing, I'm always having fun just putting things together and seeing what happens. Yeah. That's a game that I've played. I don't know, probably a hundred times already. I have yet to attach it to board game arena only because I can't sit enough time down and play it in the digital format. I imagine it takes longer in digital format than it does in real life. Is that true? I've been playing it. We played it with four players from the office, and I've got another series of games that I've been doing, uh, three players, myself included, uh, from uh, a community of, of people I met online through another uh, Twitch streamer. Uh, and in both of those cases, we've done it asynchronous turns. So it's just, you know, jump in, check your phone every couple of hours, see if somebody else has taken their, their turn yet, see where we are. Send somebody a, a Slack message or a text message to go, dude. It's your turn. Move. Right. Move. Uh, but for the most part, if you can, if you can, you know, put up with the patience that it takes, um, and not get confused as to which of your games you're trying to make your move in right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Was I, was I trying to go for big animals or small animals in this one? Oh, let right. me check. Okay, small animal bonus. I love the small animal strategy on on that game, but. Unless you get a ton of synergies baked into it, um, and there's some luck there, yeah. uh, the small animals can can fade pretty quickly. No, I've I've really really enjoyed that game. Uh, I don't think I've gotten hundreds of games in. I'm probably at the dozens of games at this point. Uh, but Ark Nova has been my go-to lately. Yeah, Ark Nova probably forced other games to not get played because of how often we're playing yeah. that one. So that's, that's a great one. Sorry, yeah. Josh, why don't you tell us what you've been playing lately? So we recently had Kurt Covert on the show 
And because of that, I had the itching to actually try Cutthroat Caverns. Mm. Luckily, one of my game group guys had a really nice version of the game, and we were able to sit down and play it. And, you know, it's in Cutthroat Caverns, you're playing a bunch of adventurers trying to make way through a dungeon. But you're also trying to not only survive together, but get the most points at the end of the game by getting the last blow and, you know, killing, being the one who gets killing the monsters and getting all the fame points and stuff like that. This, you know, for, for, for my inner gamer, this shouldn't work as well as it does, in, <laughs> in my opinion. Like, I really, like, it feels like a game like, like, I, I despise, like, Silver or, you know, uh, Cover Your Assets, games I really just really don't like. But okay. there's something about it that really, really just, you know, it, it, it catches my fancy. I really like the card play. Mm-hmm. And it might be the fact that we all know eventually we're going to turn on each other, but there is a collective, like, we still need to defeat this monster that right. makes the game work. Okay. I think it is heavily group dependent, though. Like, you need to have a group of friends who are, like, good with, like, you know, smack talking each other and messing with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's fun. It's well designed. Probably the best, probably my favorite take that game now, as far as like what's a, what purely is the game is just take that. So definitely recommend it for people who are trying with a group. They are very comfortable, you know, screwing over and causing mayhem with. But that's so you're saying the game reference. is cutthroat. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. It's cutthroat. I mean, it tells you right in the box. So. <laughs> That's Cutthroat Caverns from Smirk and Dagger Games. Andrew, why don't you tell us what you've been playing recently? So I was over at a friend's house for dinner, and uh, they asked me if I'd ever played this game called Sky Joe. And I was like, no. And they were shocked. They were like, wait, we have a game that you've not heard of or played yet? And so they're like, we're insisting on playing it. So Sky Joe is a take on the classic game of golf, which is you know also called Kings in the Corner or whatever not. You have a couple of cards face down, you draw, you either replace one of the cards face down or you discard it and flip over one of those cards face up. It's a classic game. It's been around forever. Um, there's been more recent notations to a uh, one called Play Nine, which is a golf-themed game on golf, but that's um, eight cards, which is weird because it's Play Nine, so it should really be nine cards, but whatever. <laughs> um, and then Sky Joe is the newest version of that, and this one is a four-by-three grid doing the same thing. The twist on this one is when you can get three cards lined up uh, in the column, it wipes out the entire column, but you're still trying to get the lowest score you can, can from the collective group of cards. Um, this is a good one. I think it's solid. I do not think it's amazing. I think it's very good. Um, apparently, it is one of the best-selling card games in all of France. So I think there's more room to be discovered in this genre of this classic game. Like it feels like this is what you know. If if golf was Yahtzee, this is now starting to create a new part of like the roll and write movement of things, like changing the things up to make it more gamery. Um, so this is a good start, but we can go much further and do much better. But if you've not played it, recommend it, Sky Joe. So my instruments are saying we are ready to dive. So let's go ahead and take the plunge and listen to Fletch's story. Fletch, the helm is yours. Regale us with your tale of tabletop shenanigans or whatever it may be oh well um 
I should start at the beginning then. Uh, I was a graphic designer uh, for several years, um, but while I was studying graphic design in school at RIT, I'm actually wearing my, my RIT hockey jersey right now, just coincidentally. Mm. I've always been into board games. I was playing Magic in high school when it first started. I used to get together with friends and, and make up new characters and monsters for Hero Quest. Uh, dabbled in a little bit of D&D. Uh, but when I was in college studying graphic design, we would get assignments that were like design instructions for something. And I would say, can I write a rule book for a board game? And they'd say, build us a modular design system with multiple components that, that all have different designs that fit together in some way. And I would say, can I build modular room systems for a dungeon crawl? <laughs> and like I just by the end of my four years at school, I probably had, you know, eight to ten game ideas um, just or, 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 you know, periphery to that. Oh, I need to design a logo for a company. Let's make flightless games, which was, you know, yeah. cardboard games that, that weren't video games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, eight to eight to ten pieces in my portfolio that were all very specifically tabletop game themed. And um, I think a lot of studios, graphic design studios, ad agencies and and whatnot that I applied to kind of looked at that and went, this guy's obsessed with something. Uh, I think I know what it is. Um, (laughs) And eventually uh, I landed a job where I was doing like kids bedding and and bedroom furnishings. So I would design – uh, a comforter or a quilt and it had to have matching sheets and pillowcases and wallpaper and borders and things like that. And it was a job. It paid the bills. It was, it was, mm-hmm. you know, my day work and I was still coming up with game ideas on the side. And one day I decided I was going to design my own magic set. So I started posting about it online, uh, posting up, you know, cards and, and things that I was making. And this is 2002, 2003, so there wasn't really like a, a huge homebrewed cards community at the time. It was it was a thing, but it wasn't like, you know, join entire Discord servers about it and stuff the way there are right. now. Um, and I wound up getting into a conversation on the Wizards of the Coast forums uh, about talking about modular graphic design being parallel to modular game design. Um, and Magic is a very modular game. Mm-hmm. Um, and lo and behold, Mark Rosewater shows up in the thread and Ooh. starts asking me questions about how my feelings on, you know, designing visual UI, UX, graphic design components uh, relayed itself into Magic design. And throughout that conversation, I somewhere along the line, I, I impressed him. And, uh, he says, uh, what do you, what, wh- where are you based and what are you doing these days? I said, well, we're in New Hampshire. Uh, but we've been thinking about moving to Seattle because the market's better there. So oh, <laughs> Seattle, huh? Uh, okay. <laughs> just, uh, wink, wink. So I, I'm just, I'm just kind of, you know, winging it and making it up as I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife and I, we're going to fly out there soon and just see what the market's like out there for us for jobs. Okay. Well, if you do that, you should have lunch with me at some point. Okay. Let's do that. Uh, so we, we flew out to Seattle for a couple of days just to see what the, the, the business climate was like there. We liked it. Uh, I got to sit down with Mark. We ate pizza and talked about Ravnica. 
which had just come out at the time. Um, and then I went back to New Hampshire and we just kind of kept on daydreaming about will we make it to Seattle or not? And a couple of weeks later, Mark called me on the phone and I was surprised because like how often does the head of one of the games you're obsessed with just call you at home? And I think it was right. watching a, I was watching a Red Sox game and I act, actively turned off the game, uh, which does not happen in New England. When the game is on, you don't, <laughs> you don't turn the game off. Uh, I turned the game off and Mark offered me a, a gig working on a magic set as a contractor. And I was just like, absolutely, I'm in. Yeah. So we uh, we figured out, let's finalize this move to Seattle thing. We went out there. I worked with Mark and the team uh, on Shadowmore. And then at the end of the four-month contract, I did not parlay it into a full-time job. Biggest disappointment of, of uh, my career, I think, there, that, that if I had done a few things a little bit differently, I think I, I might have landed a uh, an entry-level design position there. But no, I went back to graphic design, uh, did that for a few years, and then wound up with a studio called Forest Prezan Creative, which invented games, but again, did not publish their own games. And that's where I, I was doing the, the hitting the pavement and uh, pitching games in Nuremberg. They hired me as a graphic designer, very quickly realized that if I have a background in game design, and it's harder to find you know, a, a good in-house game designer than it is a graphic designer. Just move me from one seat to the other, backfill right. that graphic design seat. And that was my door into the business. Um, I invented a bunch of platforms and games uh, there, including a deck building system that uh, with the help of, of a number of other designers and developers uh, was something that we pitched to USAopoly. USAopoly picked it up and said, you know what? This looks like a good Harry Potter game. And that is the, the origins of Harry Potter Hogwarts hey, Battle. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, yeah, we, we did that. Uh, I designed another game called Wonky, which is a dexterity block stacking game. Um, it's, it's kind of a tipsy Jenga sort of deal where none of the blocks, all of the blocks have uh, a, a flat side mirrored by a rounded side. So no matter how mm -hmm. you stack your blocks, they're always going to be wobbly when you put another one on top of it. I've seen that one played live. It's a lot of fun. Keep going. It's 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 goofy fun, uh, and it's really exciting to see how tall that stack can get before somebody goes and plays an evil position block on there, and you know <laughs> it's going down. Uh, but eventually, uh, I I decided you know it was it was time to find another studio where I I had a few more growth opportunities, um, and coincidentally, USAopoly having published a couple of my games came to me and said, you know what, if, if you're looking to move, um, we're down in San Diego, Carlsbad. It's kind of nice down here. You might want to check yeah. this out. Um, so I, I flew down, I did a, a round of interviews and within a couple of days it was like, yeah, let's just, let's do this. Um, so I've been working with the op for a little over five years now. And, and Andrew, like you had said, you know, having that collaborative environment around you and having so many people to bounce ideas off of and, people that are really good at managing licenses and, and getting things produced in factories and, and just mm -hmm. knowing the ins and outs of every step of the process. Um, it's been fantastic working with everyone, learning you know what I can from everyone and designing some fun games along the way. That's amazing. And and I, I know you're a big fan of the Red Sox. I, is that still the case or have you chanced oh, or transferred I, over? I grew up. I grew up in New England and um, I was uh, seven or eight, 86. I was nine. 
I was nine when my buddy Mike that I was in second grade with or third grade, whatever it was, started collecting baseball cards. And he says, you got to do this too because I need someone I can trade cards with. I was like, okay, Okay. I know nothing about baseball. And Mike was a Red Sox fan. So he convinced me the best thing you could do is collect all the Red Sox cards. And, you know, midway through the season, uh, we we realized the Red Sox were actually kind of good in 86. And so, like, I was convinced this is – I just picked the best team on the planet. This is awesome. And they they went to the ALCS and they beat the Angels. And I was like, yes, these are the best baseball players ever. And then they went to the World Series and they played the Mets. And games one through five were fun to watch. And then six was (laughs) the Bill Buckner game. And I learned firsthand in my first year of being a Red Sox fan what being a Red Sox fan meant. Uh, So that was, you know, uh, a a hearty dose of realism smacking you in the face right there. Still, uh, there's a lot of franchises out there that it's much worse to be a fan of than the Boston Red Sox. 2016 was a good year for you, man. You're still sitting up pretty high. I'm not talking about the Cubs. Cubs were great, but I mean, I'm talking about lots of franchises that are pretty terrible all the time. Like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, there was there was a year. That, there was a year in my fantasy baseball league. I asked if I was allowed to draft the entire uh, Astros starting lineup because they were so bad. Could I just take them all as a single pick? And I don't <laughs> think anyone's letting you take the entire Astros starting lineup as a single pick these days. Definitely not anymore. So you have a story that we can't wait to hear this about. So please go into your story of the most memorable board game moment. Oh, my God. It all dovetails together. I, I didn't even see this coming. Um, <laughs> my, my most memorable board gaming moment, I think, uh, is one and, – and some people will argue magic isn't a board game. Uh, but for me, you know, gaming is gaming is gaming. Tabletop gaming is tabletop gaming. Um, yes. I was playing at an event like a regional – pro tour qualifier thing in Boston one year and I'm playing and um, I've got my opponent on the ropes and then my deck just completely stalls out on me and I'm up like you know my opponents at one or two life I'm still at 20 maybe even above 20 and it stalls out and my opponent gets the the opportunity to kind of sneak back into the game and he chips away and he chips away and he builds up his board and he chips away and eventually the judges all start congregating around the table because we're getting really close to time and all the matches around us have ended. I'm just I'm, – I'm flabbergasted because I don't know what happened here. I, I had the game in hand. I played a really good game. I don't think I made any major mistakes and yet here comes my opponent coming back from a, you know, a 21 to 2 or 21 to 1 deficit and he beats me. And he's just shaking his head the entire time going, I don't know how that happened. I don't know. I, it doesn't make sense. And the judge says, yeah, but who won? He says, I did, but there's no way I should have won that game. And I said, yeah, but you won the game. And the judge says, you won the game. And he says, yeah, I guess I won the game. So we fill out this, the, the match slip and hand it to the judge and the judge takes it on. And I've got to drop at this point because it's getting late in the day and I didn't win and I'm not going to make it to the, the final you know, 16 or whatever. And my opponent, who's been keeping track of his score on the back of an envelope, starts packing up his stuff and stuff and flips his envelope over and it says Red Sox training camp Winter Haven Florida on it it's a payroll envelope and i looked at him and i said you work for the red sox don't you he says oh yeah i uh, i'm their 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 you know clubhouse guy i 
make sure all the jerseys go in the laundry and, and stuff like that. I, you know, collect all the, the gear off the field after the game. And I was like, that is really cool. Like being a, a lifetime Red Sox fan, getting to sit down and play magic with somebody that was directly tied to the team uh, was really cool. I got to chat with him for a while. I was like, so any of, any of the guys in the, the team play? And he says, no, but I've tried to get so-and-so. I think it was one of the catchers at the time. You know, <laughs> he, he makes fun of me for playing and I keep telling him he's got to try because he, he's going to stop making fun of me if he tries just once. Um, and I met up with, with Jared many, many times after that, just because we'd be going to the same events in New England and I'd stay at his house when, when there was a, a Boston event. Um, he, uh, one of the, one of the times he found out my wife and I were going to a baseball game, he was like, Oh, no, 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 no. I got you. I got your tickets for you. And we sat like 15 rows behind, you know, home plate for the game. Um, I've gotten to play magic at the top of the green monster nice. just because Jared was like, Hey, I got some decks to try out. You're in town. Let's just go up on the monster and, and play magic up there. Um, so yeah, like cool one, one game that I probably should have won, but the fact that I didn't win set up the scenario where Jared and I were, were, you know, friends and, and play testers together for, you know, we'd, we'd grind decks just to see what was going to be good at the next event for several years. And I've lost touch with, with Jared, sadly. Uh, I moved to Seattle and he stayed on the East Coast. He, his, he kept mm-hmm. going up the ranks in the Red Sox organization. But uh, no, like just how many stories can spawn from one game of anything? And, and I think that one probably uh, takes the cake for me. So you went from being a fan that had Bill Buckner happen to it yeah. to being the person who Bill Bucknered for somebody else. In a way, yeah. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> One of the, it, it got me. It got me to a point where we we went to a tournament together once, uh, and he wore his Red Sox World Series uh, champions ring. Oh wow! And the gag there was that like it's New England. Every time he sat down for a match, he'd shuffle up the deck and hand it to to his opponent to cut, and his opponent would just be staring at the ring. Of course. And I got to I got to wear it for for a little while, just like oh, I'm wearing a Red Sox World Series ring. It was great. <laughs> um, That's amazing. Talk yeah. about like uh, intimidation or yeah. distraction <laughs> yeah. or all the things like that. Did he was he undefeated for like that whole weekend or I, whatever? I don't remember how he did that weekend. That's kind of great. I almost kind of wish I had a fake one version. I just pull that off sometime. Where but, your, uh, your cubs ring all over town and just see what it gets you. Sure, why not? Um, I, I love this idea also of playing games in places that you don't expect. Like for instance, when I go on vacation, my wife and I, we take games with us. We have a little packet of about eight or 10 games. We just take and play or whatever, not I've always loved those follows the things where like people play Carcassonne in Carcassonne. In Carcassonne. I like those kind of things. Like play Sagrada, I also love this idea. Yeah, exactly. I love the idea of taking a game and going to a place and then playing it there and having that memory attached to it. Uh, what other exotic locations have you played games that are very interesting? Exotic locations. Not everything can be the green monster, but come on, you got you've got some no. other places you've got mid to the played games. No, um I've played Dungeons and Dragons alongside the Connecticut River during a canoe trip. Nice. Uh back with back with the scouts. And I, I was lugging binders and binders of paper. You know how much, you know, <laughs> that weighs. And I had wow, to make sure everything a- I had to make sure everything fit into a big waterproof bag to go in the canoe and I swear if if you put the bag in the wrong part of the canoe 
either the front end or the back end of the canoe was was you know six <laughs> inches out of the water because the Dungeons and Dragons stuff weighed way too much. You were definitely a hardcore bro player then at that point. I was, you I was a nerd. That level thing. That, that's awesome. We love nerd. Nerds make the best people. So that's I'm totally still fine. a nerd. As well you should be. Um, Josh, what about you? Any locations for you in games you've played? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I mean, Andrew, you get around a lot more than I, I, I am able to, and probably so do you, Fletch. I... I don't. I can't really think of any place that I've played a game that you would really consider exotic. I, I have a dream. Though. I would love to hear your dream. I have a dream. I have a dream of playing a session of Call of Cthulhu underwater. Oh wow! Ooh. I would. That's. That, I don't know how it would happen. I have no idea what the. You want to accidentally call a great old one. Oh, I, I want to call a great. I'm trying to think. I've been like, to a couple of of aquariums where they have like the tunnels that go under the big oh, tank. Yeah. So if you could just do that, you'll you'll have technically achieved what you're yeah. looking for. Yeah, I just I just want to have a call of Cthulhu session under blacklight <laughs> with just ocean above you. That's like my dream. Just I'll be dungeon mastering, obviously, because I don't ever get to play. But like being a keeper in that scenario, oh, that just. Like people are like, I won't play Dungeons and Dragons in a castle. Forget that. I want to play a session of Call of Duty underwater. Stuff. I want to try to get a game of DSA going at Disneyland sometime. Yeah, that'd be there. Cool. You go. That'd be cool. Like doing that. That's something I would want to do as well. Like doing like a a game of Sources Arena, like underneath Cinderella's castle, oh, yeah. or something like that. That'd be. Is it Sleeping Beauty's castle? I think it's Cinderella's uh, castle. It depends on which park you're I at. Um, one of the right. Florida oh, one, the Florida one is Cinderella. The California one, I think, is Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, yeah, because it's got the the yeah. Sleeping Beauty storybook thing that you can walk through. Yeah, right uh, over the the, yeah. the main gate. Yeah, but doing anything like that, like playing DSA at Disneyland or Disney World, I think would be a great time as well. So. Here's a question for you about – I mean your story is pr- pretty amazing to listen to. You, know, you started out as a New Hampshire graphic designer going into eventually contracting Wizards of the Coast and then eventually ending up at the op. And then you have you know playing Magic with a Red Sox person to playing on the Big Green Monster. If there is you – know, that's a lot of people will consider that a very successful, maybe even like their dream of doing who are either listening to this podcast or you know just designers in general. You know, and not everyone's going to have the same path as you, obviously. But what is one thing you would like a person who is maybe a game designer or someone who just has a, a career dream and plays board games? What is one thing you would want them to take away from your story to help them in their life? My whole philosophy of, of gaming and, and designing games and everything comes down to two words. Have fun. You know, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, um, you're probably doing it wrong. You're 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 trying too hard or, or just, you know, trying to, to force something, force a a square peg into a round hole. Um, which is not to say, you know, stop trying to design games if you're not having fun. No, just change the way you're designing. Maybe, maybe you need to try turning everything on its side. And if you love heavy Euro games, maybe try making a light party game and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, push your envelopes, but always, always focus on having fun. Somebody the other day asked me, you know, which is, which is more important, 
that, that the game you design be fun or that the game you design be balanced. And, you know, it's, it's a cop out to say, well, it should be both. Uh, but really, I mean, you do need both. But for me, I think it's like a 45, 55 split, the 55 being make it fun. Um, and, and it might even be a, a 60, 40 split, make it fun because if, I'd go 70, 30 personally. Yeah. yeah. Make it fun, make it fun first. first. You can always figure out the balance. Exactly. In the back end. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas if you figure something out and you're like, this game is a hundred percent perfectly balanced and somebody says, yeah, but it's not fun. Now all of a sudden you've got to start ripping things out and creating imbalance in order to wedge the fun in there. Um, I would, doesn't no, work it like doesn't that. work like that. And I would always rather start with something that people go, okay, okay. I'm enjoying this. It's not there yet, but. What I'm doing is really, you know, it's fun. It's firing the dopamine for me. So when you're designing games for the op then and trying to bring, you know, whether it be DSA or any other game you guys are doing to the world, what, you know, what makes a, what makes a good game for the op? What, what makes an op game? Ah, uh, well, right now you've caught us at just the right time. You've, you've mentioned, you know, Perfect Wave and our booth. Um, one of the things I think if you look at, at the games we've put out there over the last year and, and what's on our slate, you know, coming for the future, we've recently, uh, re reestablished our, our channels internally so that we've got some people that work specifically on party games and some people that work specifically on co-branded games and my team, myself, Pat Marino, a number of others, uh, we work specifically on hobby games. And we realized that the op has not in the past had a, a really deep reputation for hobby games. We made Hogwarts Battle. We had the Rising series. Uh, there have been another, uh, several, several other games in that category. Uh, but we really want to impress upon people and, and build a reputation for having really great, uh, we call them ambassador hobby games, which are games that, mm -hmm. that, have some meat on the bones that you want to play them as a strategy gamer. Um, but you also look at them and go, you know what? I can totally use this game as a game night game to get friends of mine into gaming. The perfect wave. There's yes. some, there's some nice, uh, you know, depth of strategy and, and it's got kind of a Zen feel to it. It's not super competitive, but you feel good about the engine and, and the process of, of building out your, your wave that you can surf back on. And it's the kind of, game that's accessible enough that you can share it with anyone and everyone has some idea of what surfing is so it's not like you're you know we're going to go storm a medieval castle well not everyone can relate to that but just about everyone can say <laughs> right. yeah surfing looks cool okay and and you know you jump in with games like that you jump in with games like uh express route which is a cooperative uh pick up and deliver uh sort of engine building game um, I think cooperative games are great uh, baselines for ambassador games because you don't have that intim intimidation uh, for, for new players where they say, okay, well, I'm sitting down against Josh and Andrew. They've played Ark Nova a dozen times before me. I've never played this or a hundred times before me. They're just going to slaughter me. Co-op games don't have that issue. That's so true. I think, I think co-op games uh, are, are great ambassador style games as well. Co-op games have another issue, though, which is quarterbacking. That's so, true. 
you have to be careful not to let that seep into that design. Is, is that something you actively pay attention to or is that something you're uh, worried about? Definitely. And I think that, that after having made a number of co-op games, I, I did the engine for Hogwarts Battle. Uh, I've, I've worked uh, assisting dev on some of the Rising games. I designed It Evil Below. Uh, which is a co-op game and, and, you know, short sidebar, what we found is that a lot of narrative IPs really lend themselves well to being a co-op system because a lot of times there's one villain, but there's six heroes that have to work together to beat that one yes. villain. So you're either looking at a co-op game against an AI villain or, a, a like, uh, Die Hard, we did, you know, one versus many, John McClane versus multiple players as the thieves slash terrorists. Um, but as far as, as eliminating quarterbacking goes, I think finding ways to, to introduce randomization into the game is one way to, to help mitigate that a bit. If you're not allowed to share all of your resources, but you get some resources randomly or things happen randomly, if you've got um, uh, asymmetric powers, and each player has to deal with their situation simultaneously. For example, you, mm-hmm. you can't necessarily quarterback everything in the moment. Um, just because there, there are random elements that any one player can't, can't predict or plan for on their own. I agree. I'm also a big fan of hidden information. So like whether you be a hidden trader or just you have information nobody else has, and that allows you to act accordingly in different ways. That's always a good idea too. Awesome. Well, we're deep down here in the Opsy, trying to look at all the, the waves that are above us. Let's go ahead and put on our sonar and see what's in our future. So in the sonar, we talk about one game we're looking forward to playing in the future. Andrew, I'm going to have you kick this one off. Yeah, I'm really excited for this game, Moon River, coming out. Uh, by Blue Orange Games. It is a King Domino game set in the Wild West. Uh, I know more than no more than that. That's all I got. But I'm excited enough because I love King Domino and I feel like I'm a, I'm a geek for the Wild West. So if you put those two things together, yep, count me in. I'm already in. Josh, what have you been playing? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to Zubatus. This is the newest release from Bitewing Games and Reiner Knizia. It is a redoing of something called Quovatus. This is basically a pure negotiation game where you are zoo mm. animals trying to be at the top of the zoo's like displays and stuff like that. Um, I've been hearing some really good things about it. Some also some people not good things about it. It's one of those things. I think Reiner Knizia's designs always kind of split people down the middle depending on who they are. But I want to give it a try because I haven't really played a pure negotiation game too often. And I like Reiner Knizia, but that's that. Zuvatis. Sean. Awesome cover too. Keep reading it. Fletch, bring us home. So I'm I'm a little uh, in Andrew's camp here in the sense that this is a game that I don't know a whole lot about other than its pedigree. And I know that I went into the two previous games, three previous games really, not knowing uh, a ton about them and just discovering them as soon as they hit my my table. I am looking forward to mm-hmm. Gloomhaven uh, buttons and bugs. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a known entity that yeah. is Gloomhaven. And then you add in the, I believe it's shorter or smaller aspect to it? Um, it's it's kind of built around the Gloomholden engine that somebody created online. Yes. Um, where yeah. it's, it's pocket-sized Gloomhaven. Your dungeons are 
cards and your characters are cards and everything is just a, a <laughs> deck of cards as far as I know. Um, but yeah, like you just said, when you've got uh, a system as, as well-known and, and highly regarded as Gloomhaven, like I'm kind of just trusting that uh, uh, it's going to be another slam dunk home run. Um, and, and just, you know, when I get it, I'll discover it fresh right then and there. Uh, the other Gloomhaven games, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, and uh, Frosthaven, there was plenty out there. Uh, I, I love how open Isaac is uh, with his design process and, and showing people what he's got going on and, and letting people comment and, and, and uh, speculate and discuss. But for all of that, I really do just enjoy cracking open the box, reading the rules, and seeing what happens from there. Excellent. Well, we've kept you down here long enough, Fletch. Let's shoot up back to the surface and let you go. Oh, look, there's King Triton. <laughs> nah, okay. It's Ariel. King Triton's not a playable character. Yeah. Noob. <laughs> <laughs> yet, yet. Okay, great. Well, Fletch, thank you so much for giving some of your time today to come on the submarine and talk about you know, everything has to do with the op, DSA, and the story that you shared. If people want to support you, they want more Fletch in their life, what they can what can they do? Uh, I am on Twitter. It's still Twitter in, in my heart. Uh, I am on Twitter. Yes. I think it's everybody's and, heart. Uh, <laughs> and, and Blue Sky both uh, as uh, at Game Maker Fletch. Awesome, awesome. Well, Fletch, thank you for all you do for the hobby. Thank your team at the op for the wonderful games they keep bringing. If you want to support us at here at Tabletop Submarine, please like, share, and do all the things you can. Tell your friends about us because we want to keep spreading these great stories. And the bigger we grow, the wider our net is, the more people we can actually bring in to share them. As always, though, my name is Josh. And I'm Andrew. I'm Fletch. <laughs> this has been the Tabletop Submarine. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the Tabletop Summary Podcast, please consider giving us five stars on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends, family, and other gamers in your life. See you on the next voyage.